Get $10 off your next $50 or more purchase when you sign up for text alerts from Academy Sports and Outdoors. Text the word FISHING to 22369. Once again, that's FISHING to 22369. Offer expires 731 of 2022, and message and data rates may apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Old Drum Fishing on the Noose, and I'm going to be talking to Captain Joe Caparola of Caps Fishing Charters. He's working out of the Noose River area. We'll begin our discussion with gear, move on to using electronics, cork techniques, cut bait techniques, and then, of course, fighting and handling the fish. I'm Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and here in our latest and greatest effort, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series, where we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their thoughts, their insights on how to catch more fish more often. And in this endeavor, I'm joined every week by my podcast partner, Billy Thorpe, Thorpe Creative. All right, Billy, old drum time. It's that time of year. Oh man, it's good. Old old guys talking about old drum. Well, <laughs> well, one old guy. One old guy. <laughs> and I mean, it's gonna be fun. I'm I'm always excited to you know hear how you catch these grandpa fish because I think they they are they're like 60, 70 years old or whatever. Anyway, I look at look at me. I'm talking like I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm, man, I'm don't gonna do that. <laughs> talked about I'm not trying to do that. Man. I just want to be a part of the cool kids club, Gary. <laughs> Dang it. All right. Well, I'll do what I do best. I'll talk about our sponsors. How's that, Gary? Is that better? Perfect. All right, here we go. First up, we got Bland Landscaping Company. Uh, so Kurt and his guys over there, Bland Landscaping, have been in business for over 46 years. They actually have over 500 employees, which is pretty crazy, uh, but just goes to say that they are an awesome employer, and they are actively searching for field managers, crew leaders, and production supervisors across all of the markets that they serve. Uh, so if you're in the market for a new job, uh, if I make a couple more old jokes to Gary, maybe that's me. Maybe I'm wearing this hat as an employee, not as a <laughs> sponsor representative. Uh, but, yeah, go check those guys out, man. They are an awesome group, and, and they're outdoorsmen and women, and they're looking, they're looking, man. They're looking for some good positions over there. So I like that they get it. They get that people are more discerning now and looking for a job, especially a career, and they get it. They want to take care of you. They want to retain you. They want to give you benefits. And they are absolutely worth a look. I highly encourage it. 100%. All right, now our next up, we got Marine Warehouse Center. Get a quick word from them, and we'll be right back. At Marine Warehouse, we have everything. We have new boats. We have parts. We have accessories, new trailers. We have a complete service department with highly trained technicians. Anything you need to get out on the water, we have it. At Marine Warehouse Center, as we've grown over the last few years, now have a large section of marine supplies from start to finish for all your boating needs. What I love about this region is to be able to get out on the water, and also we love to be able to get you out on the water. The best part of working at Marine Warehouse is being able to get involved with the customers and share a love for the water. All right. Good dudes. Good, good dudes, good business, lots of fun, always keeping us entertained. I don't know who entertains them. Like They entertain us more, we entertain them more, but we're trying. We're trying. I don't know the answer to that either. That's a good one. Yeah, man, but I tell you what. That Emmett over there, dude, he is he's pretty entertaining and I, I you know, he's been he's been kind of rogue lately like traveling you know, again? 
He's been traveling again. He's been rogue. He's been out in the wild, and so some photos were snapped, and I got I got one, and um, I'll give you a little bit of a hint, Gary. Wait, uh, let's name that. Re- let's remind people where uh, in where, the world is Emmett? Where in the world is Emmett? Right. Is the name of this bit? I'm ready for my first clue. And this is not made up at all by Gary. Actually, not at all by Gary. Uh, or but this is real. This is a real picture. I'll give you a little hint. Um, Emmett, you know Emmett's a pilot. Yeah. So he likes to fly airplanes, but he also likes to fly other things as well. Can you guess what he was doing in this picture that I'm about to show you? Flying planes, and he would be... Um, no, I don't have a guess. All right, so I'll go ahead and show you. Here's Emmett. He is flying a <laughs> kite. Look at that. I, mean, I almost said hot air balloon, but yeah. I like this one better. Man, that Emmett is sure enthusiastic no matter what he's doing. Look, Look at, at that him. smile. Yeah, man. I didn't realize he had like a six-pack. He got ripped arms and everything. Look at that. <laughs> and if you guys are listening to this podcast and not watching it, you need to go to YouTube. Immediately look up Fisherman's Post and see these photos. Uh, but this is Emmett frolicking about in a wheat field or some overgrown grass flying his kite. So he's a pilot. Very proud. He's very proudly flying his kite <laughs> in his yellow shirt. <laughs> With two of his abs popping out. <laughs> anyway, this show is going downhill fast, Gary. Oh. After all these episodes, this is how we go out. We thought we were rock bottom <laughs> with bad <laughs> Terrell jokes, and then oh, well, so I'll show you a picture that people actually want to see. Okay, right. how about that? Got? Here we go. We got Braxton Davenport from Washington with a 45-inch red drum. He was fishing with cut bait in the Pamlico Sound. Uh, so yeah, good looking fish. I think that fish is bigger than the kid holding it, actually. So good for good for you, Braxton. Yeah, good for Braxton. Yeah, here we are in this hot podcast studio. Braxton's out there showing off pictures uh, of forty plus inch fish. I get it, man. But hopefully, we'll learn how to catch one after this episode. So I'm be good. And we're gonna guess that Braxton is a member of our weekly inshore fishing reports. I'm just gonna 100%. assume that. I mean, if you're catching 100%. fish then it's got to be because you are a member of the Fisherman's Post Weekly Inshore Fishing Reports offered at Fisherman'sPost.com. Look at the Member Content tab. And so for a small fee, you can access weekly inshore fishing reports from 11 different areas from up and down the entire North Carolina coast. Video and audio delivery method. Uh, We talk to each captain for about four to seven minutes, and they share a lot of details and they give you advice, your best chance to catch a fish for the weekend ahead. Released on Thursdays, so we have the Weekender Best Bet as part of our fishing reports. Very popular, and uh, yeah. I would say we're very we're proud of the efforts and love collaborating with the great amount of captains we have assimilated for that project. Yeah, man. It is a, is a ton of fun, and there's a lot to learn. And, um, and also, I'll mention this, Gary, because I know some people early on were like, I would do it, but I don't want to like listen to the whole thing. I want to listen to my section. And we actually have it marked out in chapters. So if you want to listen to it or watch it, uh, it's all chaptered out. So you can just fast forward to whatever sections you want to listen to and listen to them that way. So smart. Just to, yeah, you know what? I mean, that's why I get paid the big bucks because I'm big brain, big head, big brain. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, I'll let you guys get to talking about old stuff and not big stuff. All well, right. Old and big, I guess. All right. But remember, Billy's best. Takeaway. I'm gonna be ready for it, Gary. Billy's best takeaway. All right. Well, let me welcome to the show Captain Joe Caparola, Caps Fishing Charters, working out of the uh, Noose River area. Let's talk about old drum fishing on the Noose. Uh, Captain Joe, thank you for joining us. Hey, Gary. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys. 
Well, sure, man. We're I'm very excited to talk about old drum fishing in the Noose River, in the Noose area. But as tradition goes, you've got two questions to work through before we get to the main event. You tell me you're ready. I give you All question right. number one. I'm ready. All right, question number one. So why should we spend the next 30 or so minutes listening to you talk about an old red drum? Well, uh, that's a good question. I, I I think that, you know, I've been out here um, fishing on this river about 10 years total. Um, and fishing for old drum is absolutely my favorite thing and the best time of year, I feel, to be on the river. Uh, it's a trophy drum, uh, you know, fishery and every year at the same around the same time we we get the opportunity for these fish to come in start breeding and we take advantage of catch and release and getting getting those trophy fish and in the in the boat and and i think uh you know i've got a lot to learn still but i i've been doing it for a few years and um it's really what i concentrate on so uh i spend a lot of a lot of my time really studying and perfecting the art of old drum fishing all right uh acceptable we move on to question number two and as tradition right. goes question number two is a non-fishing related question so i'm playing off of your charter name caps caps fishing charter so your question mm -hmm. has to do with bottle caps are you ready okay sure. best guess what are the most bottle caps removed with the mouth in 30 seconds, Guinness Book of World Records, most bottle caps hmm. removed by the mouth in 30 seconds. I'm just going to guess and say 56. That is a good guess. It's 45, but I like how you're going. All right. 45. Nice. All right, this, I was close. You were. You were close. All right. I got another one, though. There's my follow-up. Most bottle caps right. removed by a parrot. In one minute. That's another Guinness Book of World Records. I'm not making this up. Guinness Book of World Records, most bottle caps removed by a parrot in one minute. In a minute. Okay. Um, let's say 21. You know, reverse it and you're right. 12. How about that? I thought 12 when you were saying it. And <laughs> I thought it was too low. <laughs> yeah, and I thought flying a kite when Billy asked me about Emmett, but I didn't say it. I guess right. man. All right, let's talk about Old Red Drum. In my notes here, we're going to talk about gear first, then we're going to move into using electronics okay. to find fish. And I know people are probably most curious about finding fish, but gear is important, so let's start it there. Mm -hmm. Talk to Absolutely. me about gear for Old Red Drum fishing on the noose. Okay, um, sure. So what I like to use and what I've found to be most effective is a either a medium-heavy or a heavy-action 7-foot rod. Um, I use mostly TFO rods, and that's – just what I prefer. They have a lot of backbone, and that's why I use those heavier uh, rigs. And uh, for for reels, I'm using a 4,000 series reel with a 30-pound braid and a 50-pound leader. Um, that has never failed me. Uh, I, I I know people use bigger, and some people go a little bit smaller, but I think 30-pound braid is perfect for what we're doing. It's, it allows you to cast the cork or the uh, the bottom rig um, uh, a good distance and it also allows you to connect with the fish uh, immediately as they take that cork down uh, without any kind of line stretch or anything like that and uh, the 50 pound leader I use um, simply because there's usually a lot of bluefish in the area if they come chomping at your bait they don't cut you off immediately um, but also you know again you don't 
you don't lose the fish as easy if you try to lighten the leader. Um, another thing that I will use is, um, well, if you want to talk about rods and reels, but I mean, as far as uh, line, we have covered that. Um, I guess we can talk about hooks and and lures. I'm um, sorry, corks and stuff. Um, yeah, man. I I would say I'm gonna just okay. get, I'm gonna guess though the reason you use medium, medium heavy. I mean, medium heavy, mm -hmm. heavy, is because of the backbone about bringing the fish in expediently and not Correct. stressing the fish with a long fight. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what I'm trying to do, right? We're, we're catching these fish. They're in here breeding. You can't keep them. Uh, I don't even think they'd be that good to eat anyway. But uh, you want to get them in the boat and back in the water as quickly as possible. So. Um, I've caught fish on medium light 410 rods with 20 pound braid. I'm sorry, 10 pound braid and, and 20 pound leader. And it's it's a fight for sure. And usually I chase them down, but it takes a lot longer. With these bigger, heavier rods, um, you can still get the same action on your lure or your cork, um, but you're getting the fish in a lot faster. And it gets you right back on the fish because a lot of times you're following a big school of bait or you're on top of a big school of bait. And when those old drum run, if you spend 15, 20 minutes getting them in the boat, you're going to lose that bait and then spend another 20 minutes trying to find it. All right. So, yeah, man, that's that does the rod and reel and line. So I would love to hear about terminal tackle. And let's start with corks okay. and then go to bottom rakes. Okay, great. So uh, the corks, I got a couple here. Let's see. Um, so this is the bladder mouth. I'm sure anybody that's over uh, old drum fish has seen this. It's a big, heavy, plastic, loud cork. Um, I use these a lot, but these have also damaged my elbow to the point where I can't pull them through the water anymore. Uh, every year I get tennis elbow, and it's because of these corks. So I switched my rods, the ones that I'm using. Uh, I'll put clients on this bigger uh, bladder mouth because I think they do tend to work better, but these... Just these small little four horseman corks, they have a, a scoop on them. Uh, they displace a lot of water. Uh, they're lightweight and they cast just as good as the bigger cork, uh, but they're easier for me to pull in uh, and they're just as effective, I feel. Um, but as far as those two corks is just what I prefer. If you're gonna use a cork, it doesn't have to be those brands. It could be anything that's got the concave kind of top because basically what you're doing is you're dragging that cork on top of the water making a big splash you're not just clicking it uh, and you, you wanted to simulate an old drum feeding at the top of the water and the only way to do that is with a big cork with a big uh, concave top that'll displace the water all right so and as far as okay man, do, do you tie the braid right to the bobber or you're you're tying the 50 pound leader to the bobber so what i do is i use uh i'll use about four to five inches of leader above the cork, uh, between the, the braid and the cork. And what that does is it keeps the braid away from the metal and the, because these bladder mounts just have a little swivel on them. And if you put braid on that, when it gets to the water, it's going to fall and then get wrapped up. And then if you do hook into a fish and you got braid wrapped up all around this cork, it's probably going to break off or not be as effective. Um, so I put about, five, uh, maybe six of the most inches of 50 pound fluorocarbon on top of that, just to keep it. So if it does, when it does fall in, it falls away from the cork. 
and not sense. into the top of it. Yeah, I like that. That makes sense. So now talk to me about what you do mm -hmm. below the cork. All right, so below the cork, I'm using the same uh, fluorocarbon. I'm using 50-pound. I got some J-Braid here. It's usually what I buy because you can buy a big roll for relatively cheap. And I'm um, using just uni knots, nothing fancy on, on both ends. And then I'm using a 6 out for a quarter-ounce jig head. Uh, this is the TT Lures, Z-Man. Uh, if you can see this one, it, it does have a little bit of a bend to it. It's been used, so it's been pulled out just a little bit, but uh, it's still 100% usable. And this cork's got some rust on it. I, I mean, I'm sorry, the jig head's got some rust. It's been probably three years I've had that one. I've been putting it in circulation. But uh, that's what I'm using with um, the DOA Airhead baits. Uh, the quarter ounce helps them fall pretty good uh, and, and gives a you know a lifelike action but what I will say is under the cork I use about two to three foot a liter I know it's kind of a long liter so you have this big rig that you're casting into the into the water but um, the more that that lure has to fall the farther down it goes um, I feel like it's it's more effective. Plus, if if you do get bit off by a bluefish or something, you still have a decent amount of leader to tie another hook and bait onto. You don't have to, you know, mess around with uh, tying a whole new leader on the on the bottom of that cork. All right, I got like I do. I got some follow up questions. Okay. All right. So on that jig head, you said quarter ounce. Yeah, it's quarter ounce six up, so it's pretty big. And what else but do you like heavy. about that specific jig head that you held that up? Like, is there other um, elements of it that you found work better than other jig heads? So, I don't know if you can see this. I'll try to hold it up to the camera here. So, it has this um, death grip type, um, you know, bait keeper on it. So, when you put this on, when you put this on the, uh, the bait, it doesn't slip down. It goes... Oh, I'm just going to rig this up real fast. You know, it sits just like this, and that bait isn't going to slide off the hook. So uh, traditional jig heads will have, you know, a bait keeper at the top. And so this one has one in the middle of the shaft, so it doesn't pull as far. and doesn't move as much. This one, this bait's a little worn out, so it's, it's not the perfect example. But um, but it also with this hook, the length of it, with it being 6 aught on these DOA airheads, it fits perfectly in the middle of that bait, uh, and it's the it's the perfect size for um, this bait, this particular bait. This is a five-inch bait. Um, it's supposed to look like a manhaden, and an absolutely killer. All right, so you started hitting on what was going to be my second. So I was going to follow up on the soft plastic. So. That's mm -hmm. is that your go-to soft plastic? And then I would, you know, you already answered the other question I had. Five inches. And then the other question mm -hmm. I had is you're mostly looking for men Hayden mimicking, but what about colors? What about that bait? And then what about other potential soft plastic opportunities? Okay. Um, yeah. So the, the DOA airhead, the five inch bait is, is my go-to if there's man Hayden around. So nine times out of 10, uh, there's going to be man Hayden, big schools of man Hayden. That's what the fish are after. Um, I do have some Z-Man swimmers that are more of a mullet type bait. Um, 
the thing with V-Man though is these these baits are six inch and they look more like a mullet. I can there's been times where they've been chasing big schools of mullet and they're not hitting these DLA heads because they're not mimicking the, the natural bait that's in the river. So um but the Z-Mans will require a bigger hook because they're more buoyant and if you use that little six odd quarter ounce it doesn't fall as effectively as if you go with a bigger and heavier hook. Um, so when you do take that into effect, if you're using Z-Man stuff, it does float. So usually you have to use more weight to, to bring it down to the level where you want it to go um, okay. as quickly. But What about um, color? Then, do you, yeah, do you so spend much time thinking about color? Not really. Um, a lot of the color stuff that I have is either some sort of white with fleck, either, you know, flake, either gold or silver or uh, chartreuse and white or a black with gold. I mean, they, they really don't care. I, I normally will put three or four different colors on, on the rods and uh, they'll hit all of them. They don't, they don't care. They're just eating everything that they can get their hands on or their mouth around. So they're, I don't think they're that picky. Uh, there is one color though that I've used in the past that I've never caught an old drum on and I, steer clear of it and that's that uh pink and green I forget the name of the color but it's um it's pink and green and it just doesn't work for me so Electric i try to stick with yeah it's similar to that it's it, but it's it's more of a dark green bottom with a pink top it's okay. it's odd it's not a, a normal electric chicken but um that's the number that's the color i stay away from but that's just my preference i'm sure there's people out there that clean up on that bait who knows but um I try to stick with a, a dark top and a, and a uh, you know, a contrasting color. Okay. Um, they make them with red heads. They make them with just white. Uh, I feel like something with either some sparkle in it or just the contrasting color is usually the best bet. Because the Manhattan are, you know, they look like they're dark on top and white on the bottom. So if you have that contrast that mimics that bait, it doesn't have to be the exact color but it, it does help all right i got one more question and then we're going to move on to fine and fish um you ever okay. employ like procure are you putting any scent on it or it's oh, it's a visual yeah. hit it doesn't matter no that's a good question and i should have covered that so that's another reason why i like these uh doas so they have this giant like slot in the middle and when you hook it up when you when you when you hook this on it, you put the hook through and then feed it out and stick it through but there's like and you can put like an ounce of Procure in there, and that's what I use. I use a big bottle of Procure, and I usually will use the Inshore or the, the Manhattan scent or the Mullet scent. Um, I have the big bottles because when you're out here fishing with these lures, you use you wind up using a lot of it. And uh, instead of putting it on the side, I usually put it in the middle, and that'll leave a trail of uh, you know a scent trail out on in the water for longer periods of time. But yeah, definitely Procure is. Uh, a lifesaver out there. All right. Now, and again, we said at the beginning, I think this is where people are most curious about finding mm -hmm. fish. I know you have in the notes using electronics to find fish, but hit me up in general, you know, help, help the audience out because they want to know how do we find these big reds? Cause there's so much water in the noose and the Pamlico, yeah. so many areas they could be help us out. Okay. Yeah. So I, Normally, we'll use my electronics to locate the bait balls, and the only time I ever do that is in the summer when I'm 
locating the old drum or in the winter time when I'm fishing the deeper holes for trap. Um, the rest of the time, I don't even look at my electronics other than my maps because uh, I'm fishing two, three, four, five feet of water and it doesn't show me anything anyway. So, um, but I, I feel like when you're old drum fishing out in the noose, you tend to be in deeper water and the bait balls that are out there are not always going to be on top of the water. Uh, you're not always going to see them panicking or fluttering or just swimming around. You, they're going to be low enough to where you can't see them and you have to rely on your electronics to find them. So, um, But I feel like the sonar portion of the electronics is, is important, but what I target mostly is the mapping portion. So I'm looking at my maps, my chart, and I'm looking for shallow to deep real fast. So, uh, you know, coming off of a shoal, it might be six feet out for two, three hundred yards, then drop off to ten to more or more feet. And that's what I'm looking for, because that's usually where if the bait's not on top of the shoal, they're usually hanging off somewhere on that on that uh, on that drop. So maybe this 15 feet of water and then it's six feet, you know, 20 yards away. And they're somewhere in the middle between nine and eight feet uh you're never going to see them on top of the water so you have to you have to look at your maps and, and understand where these drop-off points are and, and really try to target them and follow those those drop-off points with your map while simultaneously using your sonar to locate the bait balls because they're out there and then wherever there's bait there's going to be old drum so so you're visually looking for bait but you can't Make mm -hmm. a living on that. You also have to look for bait using your electronics and just finding them below the surface with electronics. Mm -hmm. And then Correct. separate from that, or I mean, ideally in conjunction with the bait or in these other areas where there's drop-offs and the drop-offs, the fish mm -hmm. could be on the high side, it could be on the deep side. And mm -hmm. are these drop-offs, like, what do you like? Do you like a drop-off like along the river bank? I know that there's some lumps out in the middle. Like, what have you found to be more productive, more consistently? So I, I think in the main river, there's a lot of spots that you're looking at the river, you're just lying along. You have no idea that just 100 yards to your right, it's five to four feet deep. You know, there's no crab pots out there. There's nothing out there. And then where you're running, it's eight, nine feet. So um, what I look for is I just, I really just study my map. I use the Navionics um, charts. I have the card in my in my chart plotter, and uh, that gives me a one foot depth line. So it really helps me pinpoint those areas where it's shallow for a big area and then just drops off, and then the rest of the middle of the river is 18 to 20 feet. So, um, but they they use those those ledges as little highways just to kind of travel around the river and find this bait. Um, but I, I mean, the middle of the river will definitely hold fish. Uh, if you see a bait ball in the middle of the river, definitely stop it and fish it, because uh, you, you can't just pass it and be like, oh, there's probably nothing there, because there probably is. Um, but definitely, I mean, outside the creeks, um, there's a big shoal that everybody goes to out past Oriental. I mean, I stay away from it because it's always busy. Um, but uh, you know, anywhere if you if you're using your maps correctly. And just seeing like, oh, okay, there's a big shoal, and by I mean a shoal, it's it's shallow and then deep, and it sticks out way into the middle of the river. Um, that that's those are the areas that you want to target for sure. 
Man, I got a couple more questions. So will you fish okay. a shoal like that without any sign of bait or will just because you know that's a highway and that they'll come through there or do you kind of require to see bait if you're going to spend any time at an area? So I have a couple of spots that I've historically done very well without any sign of bait. Um, and I will always go back to them. And if they're not showing bait, I'll still hit them up and I'm still catching fish because, you know, if you're using your sonar, especially if it's only a little cone under the boat, the bait not, but it might be under the boat at the time as you ride by, but it could be right outside of that cone. So you miss it. It doesn't mean it's not there, but, um, I think if I'm pulling up to an area where I think the fish might be, I'm definitely relying on seeing bait and um, either finding it on top of the water or underneath. Uh, but if I if I roll up to a spot and it's a deep drop off like I'm looking for and there's no signs of life, I usually will move on, or I'll move further down around the other side of the shoal and see if there's bait or fish over there. Um, okay. But that's basically what I'm doing. Then my other question is, when you're in that search mode and you're just sort of covering water, looking for bait, looking for birds, looking for fish, looking for other habitat, like, are you planed out or are you going slow? Like, what is the, what is the ideal search speed where you're covering water, but you're not potentially riding over a missing opportunity? That's a great question because, I mean, uh, I will plane out and I don't get anything, any kind of reading on my stuff. So I'm um, usually I'm just kind of trolling along at like a no wake zone type speed. Um, I'll find an area and I'll be like, all right, I'm going to just putz around and, and kind of slowly go over to stuff until I find something. And, and if you go too fast, you might miss something and your sonar might not, might be the greatest and it probably won't pick up the bait ball or you'll skim over it and it, it won't look like anything, but it could be a giant ball of bait. Um, so definitely, uh, if you're going to patrol these areas, definitely slow it down. Um, you'll have a better result at the end. Okay, man. So now I'm going to transition. We have found an area. You have found an area that you believe to be productive. You like it, you know, whether it's bait, whether his story, history, or whatever the elements are. Walk me through the basics of pop and cork technique. You know, what what would I expect if I was okay. on your boat? So a lot of the times when I do find these areas and there's bait around, um, sometimes you get lucky and there's there's old drum rolling on top of the water and they're they might be far away and you roll up to them with your trolling motor on because you, if you use the big motor you're gonna square scare them away. Um, so if I'm throwing a pop and cork, my technique that I tell myself and my friends and everybody that I get on my boat and fish old drum with me um, is just to drag the cork across the surface and then just let it hang out for 25, 30 seconds. It's, it's a slow process. Um, if you fish it too, the cork's too fast, um, you'll probably not hook up as much. I've found that in the past that I started corking too fast and it just, I wasn't getting any bites and I moved on and and I had somebody else on my boat and they're pulling that cork and just like looking at their phone and not paying attention. And all of a sudden they're catching the fish and I'm not because I'm moving it too fast. So, um, but definitely when you're pulling these corks, you want to drag them sideways. So you're, you're not just popping the rod. You're, you're 
I what I do is I hold it in I hold it in my hand, I turn my body to the right and I just kinda twist my torso so that this thing just goes and just uh drags across the bottom, makes a huge uh a, a big air bubble basically under the water. And that simulates an old drum rolling. If you've ever seen one roll, you know what I'm talking about. Um and the same with the smaller corks that I use too. They do the same thing. They're just they have a totally different sound and they don't make as big as a um you know, an air an air pocket, but uh they work just as effectively. But I think that dragging the cork and waiting that extra time is is key to success out there. All right. And so if I'm casting if I'm on your boat and we come up on against a big bait pod, am I instructed to cast around the edges of the bait pod, past the bait pod and pull it through? Like what's what's your opinion of best approach to bait pod corking? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so in my experience, I find these big bait balls and I've thrown corks right in the middle of them and they kind of spread around it and just keep going. And nine times out of 10, you're going to get a bluefish bite um, because I'm not under the water. I don't know what's going on down there, but I know that there's fish actively feeding on big schools of manhaden. So uh, from my experience, when you cast into the school, you're either not going to get anything or a bluefish is going to pull you down and, and chop your bait in half. Um, so I, I think what's going on down there is that these bluefish are, you know, they're crazy out there. They're fast, they're hungry, and they're just chomping all these manhaden up into little bits. And the, the old drum are usually behind that, um, following the bait and just kind of cleaning up the scraps. So what I do is I find these big bait balls, and they might be splashing and going crazy, and I won't throw it in the school. I'll throw it behind it, whatever direction they're moving. I try to get behind them and cast behind them. And I let them get a little far away, not too far, but um, I usually like to cast at the back of them and let it hang out. And I've had better success doing that. And I've given people in the past that same advice, you know, they ask me, hey, what should I be doing, you know, with these bait balls? Cast behind them and just wait. And that's usually when it, when you get a bite. Um, but I, I feel like in my experience that casting in the middle of the school has been less productive than hanging out behind it. All right. This is where I say, any other thoughts on pop and cork before I ask you about cut bait? Uh, sure. Yeah, pop and corks are, are great. Um, they are a little slow, uh, especially the way I fish them, but I have had way more success on corks uh, than I have cut bait, um, only because I fish corks nine times out of ten. Uh, there's also conditions that will allow you really to not fish corks. Um, you know, if it's really windy and choppy and gross out there, I mean, there's a lot of commotion at the top of the water. You're probably not, you're probably not going to get as good as a bite, uh, as if you were to throw cut bait. So if it's really crappy out there and the conditions aren't good, I will stick with the bottom rigs because they're more productive than, uh, trying to throw a cork on top of a, you know, in 10 to 12, uh, mile per hour, mile per hour winds. It's not as productive, but, um, but yeah, the cork, uh, and just make sure you're doing it a long, slow drag through the water and not uh, a quick, just a pop like you would if you're using just an oval popper for, for redfish and trout like you would, you know, in the, any other time of year. All right. So now I want you to tell me about your bottom rig for cut bait. And then I guess like a similar scenario, you've pulled up to an area, 
you believe would be most productive cut bait fishing? Tell me what to expect on your boat once we get to that zone where you want to cut bait fish. But first, the rig. Okay. So the rig is the, I use the standard North Carolina old drum rig. Um, if you go on the North Carolina Marine Fisheries webpage, they have a specific rig that they want you to use. Um, and they've, through biologist research, they've figured out that this specific rig is uh, the best way to use it because, or the best one to use because the fish aren't gut hooking themselves because the leader is only six inches long underneath of that weight. So uh, I actually don't have one with me to show you, but uh, the Lupton rig is, is what they, everyone around here calls them. But I mean, you can go to any tackle store, staff, tackle store around here and they already have them pre-made. Uh, and there, there's a, a certain North Carolina regulation that tells you exactly what it can be. And um, a lot of that too is the pinched barb. So if you're fishing, especially at night, I think, I think the regulation says that you, you can't use anything smaller than a four rod and the barb has to be pinched if you're fishing the hours of night. So any of these pre-rigged um, uh, rigs that you buy at the store are already gonna have the barb pinched. So, uh, and that can be problematic if you're throwing mullet and other cut bait on there because it will just slip off. Uh, because there's really no barb there to hold anything in. Um, but I'm using the same rods, the same reels, the same line, everything else. Uh, just and instead of having a cork on top of the water, you're just throwing that big two or three ounce weight uh, weighted hook on the bottom and just kind of waiting for something to pick up. So I'm guessing you're anchored and you're fan casting. How many rods do you typically fish? Um, I will usually throw... If I'm fishing strictly the bottom, I, I always try to have four rods out and I'll kind of just fan cast them outside the back of the boat. On my boat, all the rod holders are towards the back. I don't have rails or anything up front, so I don't have any uh, rod holders up there. But um, I'll throw one out to the left, one out left center, right center, and then way out to the right and uh, just kind of sit around and wait. I'm, I use my trolling motor anchor, but I found that trying to move slowly across the water and drag that bait on the bottom isn't as effective as uh, just sitting in one place and waiting. Uh, it's my least favorite way to fish, but it is effective. And a lot of times if you're trying to drag bait on the bottom, it will tend to come off the hook. So you'll sit there for 10, 15 minutes with nothing biting and reel it in, there's nothing on your hook. And that's not a good feeling because it makes you feel like, oh, I missed a bite or the crabs got me or something. But uh, if you're moving around, you definitely are going to drag that bait on the bottom and it's going to come off the hook, especially with those pinched barbs. All right, now tell me your favorite cut of pogey to put on that hook, your favorite cut of mullet. I'm kind of looking at like what part of the mullet, what part of the pogey, and how big a cut. So I'm a big believer in the tail. It is absolute garbage. Uh, <laughs> I never use it on any of those fish. Um, if I'm using pogies, they're super mushy. Even if you get a net full of them and throw them in your live well or you snag one, um, there, as soon as you, as soon as you pick one up, it just seems to die, right? It's just a really finicky bait. Um, and, um, they, I usually use the head, like the, I'll cut it in half. If I got a six inch pogey, I'll cut it in two pieces and I'll use the head on one. I'll cut the tail off the other one and, and hook it through the back fin. Um, and then if on the front, I'm using the, 
I'll use the mouth as the uh, the hook point because it, it's harder than the rest of the of the the bait. They they don't I don't know they don't stay on the hook very well. Uh, same thing with mullet. Uh, don't throw away the heads. The heads are are awesome. I've had some of my best days on just mullet head, and a lot of times the, the fish will grab it, hook themselves, and you'll reel them in, and the head will still be on that hook, and you can throw it right back out there. Um, the middle of the mullet. Like the stakes, if you cut them in, I usually cut them in about inch and a half stakes or so. And what I'll try to do is get as much skin as I can through the the hook, so I have better, um, you know, more longevity of the bait on the hook. Um, because a lot of times I feel like mullet is is a great bait to use, but it's probably the one that falls off the hook the most. And maybe I could just be doing it wrong, but. Uh, I've I've hooked pinfish and other things and I've never had the same outcome as as mullet. You know, they, it just seems to always disappear. All right. Well, I tell you what, um, we are coming towards the end, but I do want to talk about handling the fish. I I know that was in your notes. I know that's important when it comes to old yeah. red drum fishing. So, I guess you can talk to me a little bit about how you play the fight, but then I'm guessing you're going to spend a little bit more time on caring for the fish once it's to the boat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so absolutely. The, it's important to make sure that you're handling these fish correctly. Um, that's why I use those bigger rods, because it helps me get the fish in the boat faster. Uh, a lot of times you'll hook up to your cork will go down, and that thing will take off, and it'll run you know, 50 yards away, and you, you just wait for it to stop and start reeling it in. And when it gets to the boat, it usually takes off again. And um, but definitely make sure you have a good landing net, uh, a big one that will fit that fish in there. Um, I've been unfortunate and been on the boat and forgot my net. I had to use my uh, fish grip pliers to like, you know, pick, lip them and then kind of grab them by the tail and pick them up. And, um, but basically what you want to do is keep that fish as horizontal as you can. I mean, it's an old fish. It's heavy. Um, if you can imagine someone picking you up by your ears or your neck, you know, it's not going to feel good. So if you're picking them up by the gills and just pulling them straight vertical out of the water or holding them up for a picture, uh, you know, it's, it's not good for the fish. Uh, but definitely um, get, them, get them to the boat, get, them, get your picture taken, hook out, everything, you know, do that as quickly as possible. Um, I like to keep the, the fish out of the water as least amount as possible because it, it just – helps them, you know, carry on with what they're doing. They're here to spawn and make more redfish. So um, while we can catch them, it's better practice to try to, uh, uh, you know, salvage them at, at all costs. Um, especially when, when you do release that fish, you can't just throw it in the water head first and, and expect it to swim. You know, if you do that, you know, the chances of survival are going to be lessened drastically than if you were to actually care for that fish, put it, put it in the water, kind of swim the tail. I mean, they're doing a lot of fighting. They're swimming around and they build up a lot of like lactic acid in them and they kind of freeze up. So if you've ever handled one of these big fish and you put it in the water, it just doesn't do anything. You're just like, come on, man, let's go. And you kind of swim his tail. And uh, I found that uh, sometimes they kick right off and you can let them go and they swim away. And sometimes it takes a minute or two for them to, to build back up that energy to, to move around. But um, I usually... I've had really good luck with uh, patting them on the belly, tell them they were, they, tell them thank you, and just kind of, and uh, for whatever reason they don't like that, and they just, and they go on. 
So um, they, they have no life in them. You rub their stuff, their tummies, and, and there they go. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, you definitely caring for that fish. I mean, it, it gave you a good fight. Uh, it, for some people, it's a fish of a lifetime, and they might never get a chance to do it again. So just it's always good practice just to return the favor to them and, and let them go uh, safely and you know humanely. Well, I would like to thank you very much for your talk tonight, Captain Joe Caprarola, Caps Fishing Charters, operating out of the Noose River area. Um, yeah, man, I think we're all excited for red drum season. It's great to be talking big red drum with you, and uh, appreciate your time. appreciate you sharing. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, and uh, I look forward to uh, this summer, and I, I, I can't wait for the old drum to really kick off here soon, shortly. So thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Take care, Joe. All right, thanks. Billy. Gary, big reds, man. Old, Old. drum in the Noose River. Oh, yeah, man. It's good. I, you know, I've only caught a couple of those, the old guys, but they're a lot of fun. <clears throat> and one thing that um, I guess I'll move right to Billy's best takeaway. Okay. There you go. I don't, I don't need you to set me up, Gary, after 100 and some episodes. <laughs> okay. Solid. I got this. Um. Well, I, I thought one thing, you know, one thing you said was, like, use your mapping charts. Like, I think technology is huge for finding fish. Uh, but to really look for those shallow to deep drop-offs and, like, in between. If you find those two spaces, then, like, go in between them because you're, you're going to find some bait there. So, I thought that was pretty interesting to, you know, figure out, you know, use your mapping charts or whatever, your technology. But then, you know, play within those two lines is I feel like that takes this huge body of water and closes it in a little bit tighter. So Yeah, I like his analogy because they use them like highways. They use yeah. it to sort of guide their path, sort of wandering around, looking to, fo looking to be comfortable, looking yeah. to eat. That's what I do. I'm on a highway to Chick-fil-A, baby. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, not really, but not as much anymore. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we just want to shout out to our sponsors again, Marine Warehouse Center. Thank you so much. Blaine Landscaping Company and this episode as well, Academy Sports, for sponsoring the show. Be sure to support our sponsors uh, as much as you can because they make the show possible. And, um, and, yeah, keep it free. So, yeah, go check that out. And then also Fishing Reports. So. Uh, that's that's good if you don't know if you don't know how to catch these fish or where they're at uh fishing reports like kind of like a weekly reminder of how to get out there and get it done and what's going on like you don't have to go do all the work somebody's going to tell you the work they've done <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's a little cheat code we're all looking for an advantage we're all looking for an advantage absolutely man well gary i appreciate it man and we'll see you next time next week fishing is fun.